God's Word <clears throat> as we go to our scripture lesson today uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Continue our time in the sermon series through uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We turn this morning again to verse 6 as we uh, hear the Word of our blessed God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning at verse 6. Hear the Word of the Lord. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work as it is written. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you have given to us these words on this day uh, by your providence, to God we ask that you would bless us uh, through these words, that we might again live lives of thanksgiving and grace. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we have continued through this portion of God's Word, one of the consistent testimonies, of course, has been the Apostle Paul encouraging the saints. He's encouraging them in this particular section of 2 Corinthians towards service to their brethren. And we've touched on the many ways in which Paul is offering up this encouragement. And we've seen how Paul has spoken softly and carried a big stick. How he has given them the example of the Lord Jesus given them the example of their Macedonian brothers and sisters. And here in uh, this part of chapter 9, as he continues to give them this word of encouragement, he now uses a proverbial saying to awaken their minds to the attitude through which they are to have when they are serving uh, their brothers and sisters, whether they be in Corinth, in Jerusalem, in Macedonia, or wherever. Of course, one of the verses in this section is one well known to us. You know, we hear it quite often read again that God loves a cheerful giver. And we'll think about what Paul is saying here about a cheerful giver. He's saying that a cheerful giver is one who gives as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now think about what Paul is saying there. Again, he has also spent much time in uh, these two chapters encouraging the Corinthian church not to feel like they have to do things. To not give for their brothers because they are supposed to. Again, he wants them to serve because they have hearts of service. And here in this section, he is helping them to see how you become a cheerful giver. 
How it is that in seeing the needs of a brother or sister, you purpose to give even before you know what's needed. Again, this attitude that Paul wants to kind of inculcate in the hearts of these people is one that is grounded in a much deeper principle. This is something that Paul has brought up over and over again in this section. That what is to move them towards service is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. That they are to see the free offer of the Gospel. They are to see the voluntary gift of Himself from the heavens above for the sins of man, His being raised from the dead, His going into the heavenly places, and His reigning as King of the heavens and of the earth, that they are to look on these things and that they are to be moved by His example to likewise serve their fellow man. Because again, that's an important thing to always remember about the Gospel. Something that's always important to remember about the Lord Jesus Christ is that there was no necessity in the atonement. There was no necessity in our being saved from the pit of hell. The gift of the Lord Jesus is truly freely offered. It's truly without force. Again, when we think of the divine counsel, God the Father did not say to God the Son, you have to go do this. No, it was purposed from before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would give of Himself for the sins of His people. And again, this attitude, this cheerful gift that we see from the Lord Jesus is what is supposed to motivate the Corinthian church. And of course, by extension, all Christians who come after the Corinthian church. But notice what Paul is also doing in this passage in verse 6. As he, as he begins there, he says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Well, think about that language of reaping and sowing. You know, go back to the example of the parable of the sower. You know, probably the most well-known example of sowing in the whole Bible. What is the sower doing? The sower presumably knows where the good ground is and where uh, the thorns are and where the rocks are. Now he could have just gone over to the good ground and tossed the seed there. But that's not what we see the sower doing. The sower is sowing the seed as he walks along the way. Again, he's indiscriminately tossing the seed. And what are we supposed to learn from that? Again, the nature of the work that we do, again, is grounded in how we understand uh, the, the fullness of that work. And what we see here in this language of sowing sparingly and sowing bountifully, again, is grounded in the fullness of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at the example of Christ as He sowed the Word in Israel... And in the lands of the Gentiles in His day, of course we know that the Lord Jesus knew the hearts of all the men and women that came before Him. 
The Lord Jesus could have segregated the goats and the sheep while He was here on the earth. And He could have said, well, all the elect, come and stand over here, and all the goats, you stand over here. Again, I don't mean to... <clears throat> but uh, what we see going on is the Lord Jesus, by His example, again, sowing uh, indiscriminately the nature of the Gospel work that each one of us is called to do. Again, if we are engaged in this work and we want to see fruit from the work, what's one of the principles that we see here? Again, that we are to sow that work, that service, bountifully unto the nations. And again, the attitude of that bountiful service is not, well, if we just go out and do a lot of work, then we'll get something out of it. Again, that's the wrong focus. Again, the idea here is that those who are moved by the Gospel of Christ to sow bountifully are doing it because they are encouraged by the work and they see the call of the Gospel to go out unto the nations and do these things. Again, the heart of the cheerful giver is one who enjoys the act of giving. Think back to the parable of the sower. Again, the sower is, is almost bouncing around as he's going down the trail, tossing the seeds as he goes. Again, his enjoyment is not out of what comes out of the ground in as much as it is in the very act of the sowing itself. And this is one of the things we see here in this, this parable of, of what uh, Paul opens up with by sowing sparingly and, and reaping sparingly. If we uh, you know, hope to get fruit out of our works of service, again, the focus has to be on the work itself, not on what comes out of the work. Because again, that's how we get mixed up in these things. We, 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 we sow sparingly and then we're surprised when we reap sparingly. Again, the, the, the message that Paul has for the Corinthian church is, is, this is why you have not seen the blessing of the Lord upon your local uh, place. Because not only have you been stingy with your gifts to the people of Jerusalem, well, guess what's been going on in the church of Corinth? Again, the, the, the example that we have of uh, their lack of giving to Jerusalem has been shown in what is going on in the church at Corinth. You remember how the Apostle Paul in his first letter had uh, condemned them uh, for uh, their weakness. That they were not ready for the meat of the flesh. And why were they not ready for the meat of the flesh? Because they had not done the work of preparation. They had not come before the Lord with cheerful hearts in seeking His mercy and His grace. So it shouldn't be any surprise that they had not reaped uh, uh, bountifully in their own spiritual lives. And it's one of the, the, the principles that Paul has been laying out in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Again, the, the works of the flesh show the works of the Spirit. That's one of the things Jesus is getting at there in Mark 7 when He talks about uh, you know, what comes out of a man versus what goes into him. Again, what comes out of a man shows who he is. And when we, we think about uh, this work that Paul is calling them to, again, this cheerful giving that they have been called to do, again, that's why he speaks there of the grudging and necessity. 
Because then if they're not willing to do the work at home, it shows in the way they're not willing to work away. And again, all of these things have come to pass because of something that Paul says here towards the end in verse 8. And he said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Again, what what is the ground here, again, which Paul is pointing to? Again, he's pointing to the sufficiency of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sufficiency of what has been sowed in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, we we think about our own walks with Christ and, and for many of us we wonder why it is we struggle so much against indwelling sin. Why we, dwell, why we struggle so much uh, in our own lives, in, in, in dealing with others. Well, one of the reasons why that is, is because we have not sowed our own hearts with the Word of God. We have not, uh, uh, you know, we, we have sowed sparingly with the means of God's grace. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we continue to struggle with these things. Because we've not allowed the sufficiency of God's Word to rule in our hearts. Again, we have allowed the things of this world to crowd out the things of the Gospel. And let's go back to the the parable of the sower. You think about the the examples that we see there of the rocks and of the thorns. And we, we, we see the examples of these things. Again, what is one of the points that the Lord Jesus tells the disciples about these things? What differentiates the rocks and the thorns and the good ground? Again, it's the depth of the soil and the way in which they are unencumbered when they come out of the soil. Well, think about that again here when it comes to service. It comes to the service that we give to the church, the service that we're called to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if the ground is not cultivated, uh, you know, the ground is not torn up, if the ground is not seeded with nitrogen and with, with the food that it needs, then the seed is not going to sprout. And it's not going uh, to have the fullness uh, that it should have. Again, that's one of the problems of the Corinthian church. They are not engaged in the labors of being indwelt with the Word of God and with the means of God's grace. So that's why, again, uh, Paul has pointed here uh, to this parable at the beginning that they are sowing, they are reaping sparingly because they have sowed sparingly. And one of the blessings that we have in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is that the way to sow the ground, or the way to prepare the ground, is not rocket science. Again, we do not have a bunch of wild rituals that we have to go through in order to see that ground prepared. Again, there's not a whole lot of work involved in this. And that's one of, the, one of the, the things we often run into, one of the stumbling blocks that we place in front of ourselves. Is we say, well, I have to do this, 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 and this in order to prepare the ground. Again, what does the Scriptures tell us about how to do these things? Again, think of the attitude of David in Psalm 119. Again, why is he rejoicing at the law? Why is he rejoicing at the blessings of the Word of God? Because again, he has meditated upon it day and night. He has read the Word of God. He has allowed the Word of God to dwell within him. Again, the Word that has been given to us. 
And we think about our forefathers in the faith, especially before widespread literacy. You think about the riches that we have before us. You know, we live in a day and age where you can pick up your phone and have access to every scintilla of information that mankind has ever known. Yet we live in an age where people know less and less and less. You know, it's worthwhile to think about that. Why do, we sow, why do we reap sparingly in our spiritual lives? Because again, we sow sparingly with the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. I think I have probably 15 Bibles in my possession. You you think about how wild that is in history. We don't have to go that far back where there may have been a Bible in the parish. And then, how many people in the parish could read it? Very few. But you go back and you, you, you would speak to those saints and they know the Bible much better than we do. And why is that? Because again, they took the time, they took the effort uh, to, to, to not only spend in the Word, but to spend in the Word together. They took the time uh, to hear the Word of God read, the Word of God preached, the Word of God sang, the Word of God prayed. Again, this wasn't just something they did once a week on Sunday mornings, but it was a constant uh, thing that they did. And again, it's not because it was something they had to do. It wasn't just because it was boring back then and there was nothing else better to do than to gather around a church. Because there was this heart of cheerful giving, this heart of love for the things of God. Again, it wasn't a duty, it wasn't something that grudgingly had to be done. But again, this heart of cheerful giving was prepared through the means of God's grace. Uh, through the reading of God's Word, through the praying through God's Word, through hearing the Word of God preached. Again, these means that God has given to us. Can we make this uh, much more complicated than it needs to be? In the, the, the way in which God has laid forward the plan of our salvation, the plan of our redemption, the plan of our sanctification... And again, it's not something uh, that we need to take and, and look at and, and try and, and kind of reinvent the wheel. And again, what was one of the things that God had told the Israelites? Why were they to teach their children these things? And you look, for example, at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Why were they to remind them of uh, the uh, work that God had done in Egypt? So that when they arose up from their own age, they would be reminded not only of who God is, but how God had done these things. And how God had watched over them from generation to generation. Another thing we see Paul doing here in in trying to awaken the hearts and minds of the people at Corinth as he speaks to them there in verse 7 by saying, So let each one of you gives as he purposes in his heart. And one of, the, one of the things that we need to be reminded of every now and then is that we have not awakened our own heart. And how have we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, this changes how we think about this work of service and the work that God has given to us from day to day. And the the perfect example, of course, comes to us from Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. 
And what do we see there? We see uh, Ezekiel receiving the Word of God and he is told that what happens in salvation is that the heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. Again, sometimes the Bible uh, needs to be as explicit as it can because we are kind of hard of hearing. We, we, we don't want to really believe that this is how it works. Again, we want to have a hand in this in some way. But again, understanding that we were dead in sin. That we were without the ability to hear and to receive the Word of God. Understanding that we were dead sinners, tainted by the sin of Adam and by our own sins. That what has to happen to us is that we need to have that heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. And that's why the valley of the dry bones is the next uh, portion there, the book of Ezekiel. Because we need to hear it again. And we need to have another, a more vivid example. And you think of what happens there in the valley of the dry bones. We see these bones that are just laying there. Now, I know many of us have walked through the woods and have come across dry bones. We've come across animals who have died, who have been helped in their death, or in some way came to their end. And they've been cleaned by the various animals that run around in the woods by time, and those bones are scattered. And you know, sometimes you can find all of them, sometimes you can't. Now, stand one time when you're in the woods and, and wait. And wait and see if those bones come back together. Wait and see if flesh just appears. Well, that's what we see in the Valley of the Dry Bones. We just see these bones laying there. And what does the Lord tell Ezekiel to do? He tells him to stand above them and to preach. And what do we see happen? We see the bones come together. We see the flesh come on the bones. Now, at what point in time in this process do the skeletons take uh, their role? Is it when they get the flesh on there, then God says, okay, go ahead and put the skin on now. That's your job. Well, what would happen if that was the case? Well, the body would just fall down, right? And, and the skin would still be laying there. Again, that picture there of the nature of our salvation, that not only have we been gathered out of the dust, gathered out of the valley, had the, the, the meat of the gospel placed on us, having had skin placed on us, but what else do we see there? We see a callback to the very beginning of time. And you think back to Adam. You think back uh, to the opening of the book of Genesis. And we see there that God breathes life into these uh, previously dead people. And we think about the nature of that salvation work, of that work of redemption that has happened to all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been taken out of death, out of darkness, out of blindness. And by the gift and grant of faith, have been given eyes to see, have been awakened out of our slumber, have been given new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul here in verse 7 says, let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart. Because again, who has given you that heart? Have you given that heart to yourself? Have you done a transplant on your own body? 
Now what's happening here is Paul reminding the people that they are not responsible for their own place in the kingdom. That God has given them that place in the kingdom. That God has presented to them this new life. And so this attitude that they are to have for their brothers and sisters is informed by the work that God has done for them. That the attitude that comes out of their heart, uh, this, this, this attitude which is not out of grudgingness or necessity that seeks to serve uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that leads to and loves a cheerful giver, again, is, is a call unto each and every one of us uh, to be reminded of how we have gotten here to begin with. Not by the will of man, not by the will of the flesh, but by the will of the Spirit, we have been given this life. And we are to understand ourselves not belonging unto our own will, our own purposes, but that we have been given this call by the Lord our God to serve Him and to serve one another. And this is, again, what differentiates us from the world. And the world's hope is in this place. In these walls and in the ceiling and in these things that are deteriorating before our eyes. And these things that will not be here in generations to come. Again, our hope is in those things uh, that are not passing away. And this is why we are to give with this cheerful heart. Because our life and our purpose and our minds are focused on that which is to come. That which is our true hope and our true place and our true home in the heavens that God has made from the foundation of the world that we might dwell therein. Again, this attitude that we are to have is grounded in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ, who was called sinners unto Himself, Christ, who has sowed the seeds of the Gospel throughout the nations of the world, and has done so bountifully. And what's one of the things we think of, of course, when we think of sowing, we also think of the parable of the wheat and the tares. One of the things that's worthwhile to remember about that parable is it's not a tare field full of a bunch of wheat. It's a wheat field with some tares thrown in. That's a reminder again of the power of the preaching of the gospel to the nations. Of the way in which we are to take the gospel unto every hill and every vale of this creation. Because the Lord God has told us that it not only will come to pass, but that it will be successful. And why is that? Because the Lord is the one who not only is in charge, but He is the one who has granted these things to come to pass. And so brothers and sisters, as we hear from the Apostle Paul once more this morning, and as we hear this call to be cheerful givers of those who sow bountifully and reap bountifully, let us again remember the reasoning for these things and how it is we have gotten this heart through which we become cheerful givers. That we're not ourselves. That we're not who we think we are. That we are children of the living God. That we are sons and daughters of He who has given of Himself that we might 
be raised from the spiritual dead. And that we who have been given these new lives in Christ are to be reminded that we are cheerful because the Lord our God has been cheerful in giving to us uh, this blessed grace of His own life. And so brothers and sisters, as we go out onto this world and as we do serve one another, as we serve our unbelieving neighbors, as we uh, serve uh, those whom God places in our paths, let us be reminded again of our identity in the Lord Jesus. Let us be reminded of again the purposes of these gifts. That we might show forth the praise of our God, of our Father, and the author and the finisher of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again that You are the God over all things and that You are the God who has given to us this new life. That we who have been called to serve You might serve You with cheerfulness and with joy. Because our heart is not our own. But it has been placed there by Your grace and by Your love. And to God, we pray these things in the name of Your Son. Amen.